We are a nation of peacekeepers. For more than seven decades, Canadians have served in peacekeeping missions around the world. More than 125,000 Canadians have traveled to areas experiencing conflict and unrest. Places like Haiti, the Balkans, and the Sinai Peninsula. There, they've helped restore peace and security while facing extreme climates and dangerous conditions. Join us as veterans share their experiences as peacekeepers. We'll hear about their triumphs, struggles, and the human connections they've made. With courage, integrity, and loyalty, they've left their mark. Being far from home and family is never easy, especially if your work takes you to a harsh and isolated part of the world where you must carry out your duties surrounded by barbed wire, trenches, and the wreckage of past conflicts between two bitter foes that could explode into flashes of violence. For many Canadian Armed Forces members, this is not a hypothetical scenario. It is real, and they lived it, like Mark Charlton, who served in the United Nations Peace Mission in the Golan Heights of Syria. Originally from Belleville, Ontario, Charlton joined the regular force in 1979. After training as a radio operator, he served in postings across Canada and deployments around the world. One of his first experiences was a peacekeeping mission in the Golan Heights, where he would face extreme heat and even come under fire over the course of his six-month deployment. Actually, it was kind of a, a last-minute one, the Golan Heights, because actually I wasn't scheduled to go. Uh, one of the fellows in my unit in Kingston, he'd, uh, for some reason, he couldn't go. So the next thing you know, I was, I guess, I volunteered to go to replace him. So that's how I got into it. I remember reading about the uh, Six-Day War uh, as a kid, and, uh, and that was probably my greatest understanding, probably the only really understanding I had of it. Uh, before I did deploy, though, the fellow I was replacing, he sent me a letter explaining to me where we were, what my job would be, and uh, who the people I'd be working with sort of thing. So that helped. The Canadian presence in the uplands between Syria and Israel is one of the longest-running international commitments ever undertaken by Canada. The Canadian Armed Forces have been contributing to the United Nations Disengagement Observation Force mission since 1974. More than 11 years after the mission began, Charlton began his tour. Flying to Damascus while looking over you know, the cities you're flying out here. I know it's, it was in a wartime situation, I guess, at the time. They were fighting with Lebanon at the time. So as you're flying into the aircraft, you would see the uh, surface-to-air missiles that were surrounding the, air, uh, the airport type of thing in case of an attack from whatever. But, uh, and everything was more, like, uh, say, in a wartime footing. We got off the aircraft. There was armed guards. Uh, we were collected by the UN buses. And game. As you were driving through the city of Damascus and then further out there, as we were heading to the Golan Heights, you would see the, the signs of recent battles and wars and refugees and so on and so forth, which was unusual to anybody in Canada. So you had to get used to that type of environment because yeah, you're going to be in it for the next six months, right? So, I mean, I got there in September of that year of 85 when I first got there. It was really hot. You had to get adjusted to the climate. Uh, the heat. So it usually takes a couple weeks. Like pretty much any of my except for Russia, it was always hot. So you just, just 
because it's the nature of the beast. But uh, in Syria, though, during the winter time, kind of you did get cooler weather. It uh, you did get a little bit of snow, but mostly kind of got uh, damp and it was rainy type of thing. So, and of course, those buildings aren't—they're uh, not really insulated. They're mostly clay buildings, so there's no insulation in them. So they, they do get cold and damp. The United Nations mission in the Golan Heights was designed to create a buffer zone between Israel and Syria where no military presence, besides that of UN observers, was allowed. Now basically the, the UN force that was in place there was the area of separation between Israel and uh, Syria at the time. The AOS we call it the area of separation. It was kind of likened to like no man's land. It was just 10 kilometers, 10 miles, well, depending on what point of the AOS you're at. It could be as short as you know a few meters, or it could be as a couple of miles or kilometers as well. But anyways, within that zone, there was supposed to be no armed, uh, no military, so either Israeli or uh, Syrian within, it. and that's what we would patrol to keep them uh, apart. Now that wasn't my job. I was again, I was communications. Uh, I ran a communications detachment there, but yeah, we didn't really get involved with the mandate of the mission. We just provide the comms for the people that we're doing that sort of thing. So the soldiers, I guess, would try to just well, stop, I guess, for lack of a better word. But uh, like I said, I don't think, personally, I don't really think we had the means to do that because a lot of the times it was more the opposing forces, uh, Israeli or uh, Syrian, usually would move in uh, with armored vehicles, which we didn't really have anything compatible at that time. Like the Israelis would have been using Mirakava uh, main battle tanks at that time, and the Syrians were using like T-62 Soviet equipment at the time. So UN really didn't have uh, anything to try and prevent that from happening. I guess the most they could really do is report there was a violation, and I guess the UN would make a decision whether uh, they would send in a uh, larger force to try and quell that. Okay, that would be on a different level than me. But as for the force that we had there, no, we, we were mostly uh, small arms is all we really carried back then. We were all Canadians. It was just a four-man detachment. It was just uh, me and uh, three other people. Uh, the only other outside work is usually uh, daily one of the... Uh, other UN forces, usually the patrols by to see how we're doing. Usually it was either the Austrians or the Finns. Usually once a day, one of the patrols would come by just to see how we're doing. While occupying the buffer zone between Israel and Syria in the Golan Heights, Charlton and his detachment of three other soldiers spent a lot of time with just themselves. Occasionally, they came under fire. Most of the time it was very routine. There was a couple incidences where we, uh, we came under fire uh, a couple times. Uh, just because of our ge geography, right? Because we're in the middle of the AOS, so to, to the west and to the east of us, you had either the Syrians and the Israelis. And if one of them tried to cross, usually there would be gunfire would start up. And we just happened to be in the way, so you know, occasionally rounds did go by us. Uh, our detachment did get hit uh, at some point in time. We had an underground bunker that we would have to evacuate to in case something like that did happen, right? It was probably my first or second night there. Was we had an intruder break in through our wire, and they got into actually they got into the bunker somehow. I don't know how they did it, but uh, uh, myself and the guy, the, the, the fellow was on the radio watch, so they called, warned me there was somebody there, somebody in the bunker. So the two of us went down, and we armed ourselves. 
because we didn't carry uh, weapons with us there. So we armed ourselves, went down into the bunker, and uh, basically chased whoever was. So my guess was just probably some civilian you know, scrounging around there, probably looking for like some fuel or uh, some of our emergency rations were stored down there as well. So that was my first incursion. Uh, another one was when we actually did come under uh, fire from a Syrian patrol uh, part way through the detachment. At that point in time, there was only two of us in the house. So again, we had to arm ourselves and to uh, you know, basically uh, protect ourselves until uh, we got a, a, one of the other Finnish or an Austrian patrol to come by and see what was going on. We weren't very close to people, so it usually takes somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour for you know, a relief force to get there. So basically in that 45 minutes to an hour, we had to defend ourselves until that happened. Just say that was the first time I'd actually been under, under live fire from somebody else was actually shooting at me. And basically, I really didn't think of it the first time, but I just basically reacted. It wasn't until later on that I was figuring out that, you know, when you're thinking about it, but yeah, really, this could have gone so real quick. I mean, we were outnumbered, uh, probably two to one, or at least three to, maybe three to one. But yeah, it was kind of, uh, afterwards, yeah, I kind of thought about it. Said, yeah, this, this, things could have happened and gone wrong, but unfortunately, they didn't. Whether that's just training that kicks in, I, I really don't know. Came out for the best in the end, so <laughs> just take it as that. The other times, like say when the, at nighttime, uh, like when, when people were trying to cross the AOS, which is mostly at nighttime, you know, they lasted like, you know, seconds. I mean, it was just a burst of machine gun fire, but at nighttime, it's, you're using tracers. So if you haven't seen tracer fire coming at nighttime, it's quite dramatic, uh, especially when it hits stuff, it just goes all over the place. For over six months, Charlton commanded his small detachment in the Golan Heights, continuing to provide communication support to the United Nations Observer Force, while working out of a partially destroyed house in the buffer zone. Well, and that, yeah, it was just the routine of the camp, you know, making sure clean, making sure the generators are working, you know, the radios are serviced. Mostly stuff was run by batteries, you know, battery maintenance, uh, your water, your laundry, <laughs> basic housekeeping stuff, cooking for a matter of fact. I said, we didn't have cooks with us. There were just the four of us, so we used to get fresh food and we'd, uh, we'd cook our own food all the time. So, I mean, yeah, you're just your day-to-day -day, like you would be at home type of thing, right? I think I took three weeks leave uh, when I got back, you know, to acclimatize back to kind of get used to the game which you need because everything is different all of a sudden you're, you're, you're going from a war zone and then you're back on the streets of the, at that time i was in kingston so i mean you're trying to get used to traffic the game the stores and and uh, normal functioning life for back of a better word which you, you haven't been used to for six months so, and people especially right because for six months you really only associate around the four people you're with so kind of like we'll be right now i guess in some aspects but uh, that you really you required that back then. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Peacekeepers edition of the Faces of Freedom podcast. Subscribe and check out previous seasons through your favorite podcasting app. If you have a suggestion, whether it's a guest or a story, you can reach us at Canada Remembers on Facebook and Instagram and at Veterans Affairs Canada on Twitter. Use the hashtag CanadaRemembers and tell us what you think. 
If you're looking to dig even further into the stories of Canadian veterans, we have a wide selection online at veterans.gc.ca. Thanks for joining. Until next time. <laughs>